It's your friends in your ears who talk about beers. It's the cool room. We're here for episode 85 tonight. Uh, on the very last few hours of Melbourne's fourth lockdown, we're joined by two new friends from Nomad. Uh, I'll get Travis to introduce them in a minute, but let me run through a few of our little housekeeping things before we get too much further into tonight's episode. Uh, because this is obviously designed to be enjoyed with some delicious Nomad beers in your hand. You can either purchase them from our online shop, where there's a couple of tasting packs left, or you can jump on board uh, Nomad site or track them down at your local craft beer emporium. So tonight we're going to be tasting the Brookie Dark, the Jetlag, the Rod and the Cookies and Cream, which I've written Crookies and Cream on my one for some reason, which is going to distract and amuse me all night. Uh, as we always say, we recognise that there's four beers and we're going to be progressing pretty quickly through the discussion. So if you're tasting at home as part of the Zoom broadcasts, and welcome to everyone who's joining us on Zoom, make yourself a little tasting paddle. Don't try and drink everything as we go. Alternatively, if you're listening to the podcast version, and welcome to everyone who's joining us on the podcast version. Uh, you can pause after each of the beers that we discuss and enjoy and savour the flavours of the beers that you're tasting before moving on to the next one. So you can enjoy responsibly. Um, we've got a couple of fun events coming up in the future. Uh, this coming Sunday, which will be about the 13th, we're having another Sunday afternoon, Sunday fun day as part of the Victorian uh, long weekend. We've got a four pack of delicious new beers from Deeds and also a pretty amazing 12 pack of German beer that we're going to see how far we can get into on Sunday afternoon. And then in a couple of weeks' time on the 24th, we're going to be joined by Slow Lane. Uh, and we've only got a few tasting packs left for that. So if you haven't already ordered one of those, please do so, because we're going to have very limited capacity to get more of that beer down to Victoria uh, if you are in Victoria and haven't already got that in your fridge. Um, I reckon that's going to do me for now, Travis. I'm going to hand over to you, Mr. Bristos. How is the cold Melbourne lockdown treating you? Uh, hello, David. Um, it is treating me well. Um, it's cold. It's wet. I've only been out of the house once in about four days, I think. So yeah, it's pretty stock standard lockdown here in Melbourne. <laughs> I think we're, what are we Isn't on? Isn't that lockdown? a funny phrase to say? It's lockdown just a number kind four, of lockdown. And we're kind of used to it now, I think. We're kind of just, it's kind of just normal. Yeah, for better or worse, that's Sounds pretty right. Brief. Sounds very sad, that. Uh, but, you know, we're all in the Zoom room again. So we've got Nomad back on tonight. Um, Woohoo! For the second time, uh, Nomad were on uh, during one of the other three lockdowns that we had last <laughs> year. Um, I'm not sure which lockdown they were on in because they all sort of meld into one. But uh, uh, welcome, uh, guys. Welcome, Chris and Nico from Nomad. How are you, gentlemen? Well, well. Well. Good. good to hear. Good to hear. Um, 
we're going to start off. We're, we're starting off with the draft tonight, but before we get on to the beer, let's have a uh, a, a bit of a brief chat. Um, tell us a bit of an overview of the brewery and uh, how long you guys have been around it for. So the brewery itself, we've been around since 2014. We're situated in Brookvale, which is on the Sydney Northern Beaches. Uh, yeah, and me personally, I've been to the brewery nearly three years now. How long have you been here? Uh, I've been here in Nomad for a little bit more than two years. And before that, just like pretty much in New Zealand and Germany. Nice. And um, we'll get on to sort of individual stuff. Um, how long has Nomad been around for, guys? So it was uh, 2014, so that's when we first originated. We first actually opened up shop here in Brookvale. Um, story goes, we essentially, the owners, Johnny and Kerry, brought Brooks, the past head brewer, who was actually on the podcast last year, I believe, during one of your lockdowns. That's right. Yeah. Brought him over and, um, yeah, they started 2014 and he'd, they'd been working up until, well, he'd been working up until just as of last month to up until where, yeah, we took over. Amazing. Amazing. Um, Chris, mm-hmm. our listeners would love to have your type of role within a brewery. Um, why don't you start by giving us a bit of an insight into your role um, and sort of your background. Where have you come from? So my background, so basically I was a bit of a, a wanderer for a long time. I kind of just bounced between roles like customer service and sales roles. Didn't really have any clue what I really wanted to do. And what always stuck with me, my dad told me what I was doing is fine. But he said, by the age of 25, you got to you know have your fun up until then, but then you got to figure out what you want to do. I got to about 25 and a half and I just hated what I was doing and had really no direction. Had a big think about what I love in life. And the only thing I could really think of at the time was beer. So I kind of took a plunge. I went out, emailed every single brewery in um, Sydney, which was like 50 or something stupid at the time. Only three actually got back to me. One of which has been Nomads. I'd never heard of them before prior to that, but they gave me a shot. I started off as packaging on the bar and that was yeah, nearly three years ago. And it's just kind of snowballed into uh yeah now running the joint brewing so happened very quick but it's a it's been a good trajectory so far so i can't what a journey that's that's amazing yeah. yeah like um how many breweries do you reckon quick. yeah that's yeah that's sorry how many breweries do you reckon you emailed oh it would have been like probably 40 to 50 like i went through a lot of ones at the time hadn't had a bit of bit of knowledge on craft beer but not really known brewery breweries a lot of them yeah just none of them got back to me and then yeah it was kind of funny. The only one that did, I got a job and yeah. That's a great lesson. A of- That's a great yeah, lesson for our listeners. Email 50 breweries, three of them might get back to you and then you no, might yeah, end a- up with a brewing job. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a numbers Brilliant. game because I've got mates who want to get into it. And I said, you just got to ask everyone, get on everyone's case and they'll give you an in somehow. And it's a classic thing of people probably want you to work there, but you need experience. You need to start somewhere and yeah, and, right yeah. place at the right time really. Yeah, Were you a it. home brewer and other bits and pieces before you went in and started your, your David, brewing li- industry? Literally nothing, hey. Like, I just went out every weekend drinking beers and I thought, well, I like beer. That's that was kind of, I didn't even know anything about it. I just knew I liked it. So, yeah. See, that's brilliant. I love that. That's that's such a good story. Um, I'm interested to hear Nico's take on that's, you yeah. know, what it's like <laughs> where I was about to go. Someone who <laughs> yeah, three years ago yeah. didn't really care that much. And, <laughs> We have two uh, complete opposite uh, yeah, journeys to where we are. So, Nico, you've got a very, very different story to Chris. So give us a bit of an insight. Um, obviously, how long you've been at Nomads and uh, where you sort of come from? Where's your background? Well, I'm born and raised in Germany and um, have been pretty much um, in school until I was 15. And then 
I didn't know what, what I wanted to do after school. And my grandfather had a friend, he owned the brewery. So he was giving me a two weeks trial there. And from that point on, I pretty much loved brewing. Applied in my area um, where I lived um, Dusseldorf, back home in Germany, um, to like Abbey Brewery pretty much. And got like an uh, apprenticeship there in um, Schumacher Alt, Alt Beer Manufacture in um, Düsseldorf, Germany. And it took me three years to like finish the apprenticeship. After that, I worked another half year in the brewery as a train brewer. Um, after that, I went to like a big beverage industry with um, like producing a million cans in a week, uh, a month, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, that's, that's quite an effort, but yep. yeah. <laughs> Not in a month. Um, so there were three massive lines um, running 24-7 um, with shift work. And so... Um, I worked for a year, but I was never really into it. Like you don't get like the kind of like family vibe, what you get like in small um, companies, like especially like here in Nomad, you have like a really small, really good company, family pretty much. Um, yeah, after that year, I went um, to New Zealand. Um, firstly, as I wanted to do work and travel, um, after two months, I got a job at the Tuatara Brewing in New Zealand um, through the Bivana event. I went just like through Bivana and chat to brewers and one offered me a job. Got really lucky, loved the time in New Zealand, amazing people in New Zealand. And um, yeah, couldn't stay in New Zealand. So I went back home to Germany for another six months. Decided to go to Australia to work and travel again. Um, but in the second week, I just walked around pretty much Sydney to from brewery to brewery. And as soon as I walked here up to Nomad, um, Carrie, the owner, was like just talking to uh, one of the brewers. And he actually was leaving the next day. <laughs> so Carrie... Um, was like straight up oh you want to come into more and have a trial day like, yeah sure and after the trial day i pretty much started the next monday and since then i'm here and got sponsored two months ago for staying another two years with yeah nomad wow amazing um so you both kind of got your little uh right place, right time story, uh, which brought you to, to Nomad. So that's, that's awesome. That's, that's great. Um, so you're, you're here for another two years. Um, Nomad sponsored you? Uh, yeah, exactly. Amazing. It should be, it should be more of that in Australian business at the moment. It's um, yeah, such a good way to go about it. It was a it's really, really hard process to get it. Because yeah. um, there's like not a special occasion for that sponsorship. So, so guys, um, give us a bit of an insight as to what you both knew of Nomad before you walked in the door or sent them an email. And yeah, so mine, 
I basically when was I? I'd been in contact with the owner Kerry uh, the on like the Friday, and she was saying I should come in the following Monday to start. And my I had literally no knowledge of Nomad. Um, I really applied here not because it's one of the many places in Sydney, but my sister was living in Manly, and I thought, oh, that'd be good. I was at the time living an hour away from Brookvale, and I thought it'd be good working there because then I can move close to my sister. That was legit. That was my only knowledge of it. Walked in, and then yeah. I hadn't seen Nomad Beers anywhere, but then pretty soon I kind of realised what magnitude Nomad was around. So it kind of left me red faced and never really told the bosses that. But yeah, to my understanding at the start was not much. It's okay. We won't pass that knowledge on to them. Yeah, they're, um, they're not in this convo, are they? Yeah, no, no, not not <laughs> if you as long as you send us a slab every month, then we've got no reason to divulge that information at all. We can work that out. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> Um, and uh, how about you, Nico? Um, what was your knowledge of the brewery before uh, before you? Yeah, so um, in my time in Tuatara in New Zealand, um, I had a guy that used to work here at Nomad coming over and started to work in Tuatara, and it was like in the last three months when I worked there, and um, like he taught me a little bit about Nomad, and that are like based in Sydney, and um, what kind of like beers they like do. And um, yeah, so it was not a lot. So I kind of like forgot about it once I got to Australia and then worked up. And like a month after I started working here, I realized, oh, that's actually the brewery he talked about. <laughs> Message him and you're like, oh, yeah, you know Brooks? Yeah, I do. <laughs> and yeah, so it was kind of like a funny situation. <laughs> yeah. That's um, both of your stories are great because it, just goes to show that, you know, even if you don't have that beer knowledge, but you want to work in the industry and you really put your mind to it and put yourself out there. In your case, Chris, you 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 managed to pull it off. And um, obviously, with you, Nico, you've you've travelled the world and um, you know, started in Germany, made your way to New Zealand, and uh, then back to Australia. That that's awesome. Um, we are uh, we obviously everyone's got their beers open. We're trying the draft this evening. Why don't you tell us a bit about this beer, um, the, uh, the the Brookie Draft. Um, give us a bit of an insight uh, on this one. So as far as the Brookie Draft, it was kind of our take on your classic Australian draft beer. Back in the day where you really didn't have much choice, you'd go to a pub and you only had, well, depending how long ago, you had one beer to choose from. But I mean, even today's day and age, if you go to a, a bolo, so to speak, there's only, there's no craft beer. There's only kind of the, the entry level stuff, the basic stuff. And we kind of thought for us, we our core, well, our range in particular was missing that. It was kind of a void that needed to be filled. We get so many people coming in who don't want the the triple nitro this is or the boys and berry that. So they just want to they just want a beer. So for us, we just wanted to bring a beer in for us that kind of met that need. And that's what yeah, the bookie draft is what we're drinking now. Amazing. That's yeah, you're right. It's um, it's a non-offensive. It's it is that old school sort of beer. Um, hopefully everyone's enjoying it. Um, just on from that, and we just got someone that asked this question the, uh, in the group chats. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, for people that are in the Zoom room, you get to ask questions as we go through the night uh, that you don't get to do if you listen to the podcast afterwards. Um, give us a bit of an insight into the Brookie range. Um, we've got a couple other ones. We've got the Dark and the Pilsner in the pack that we've sold for this podcast uh give us a bit of an insight into that uh that range yeah so again kind of going off what we were saying before about how we just wanted to 
kind of introduce it and not entry level, but just kind of like a more introduce a beer into our range in a sense it's just a beer that's really what we wanted to do with the bookie draft but then we kind of went on with that with the brookie old and the pills so again the kind of beers where people don't come in the draft so the dark in this instance people don't always want to have a 10 percent sweet stout or a nitro stout they just want a nice dry dark beer that's where the dark is and that's before i came in this chat actually that's what i was drinking that's probably one of my favorite beers mm. we have done no choice to lie there and the same with the pills i mean Pills probably more Nico's specialty, but yeah, the pills is like a like a classic pills nut. Um, we use um, Bazaar's uh, like a German hop, and it's like really not full on, but you still get like a cli- uh, like a small hoppy note um, in the end. You get the classic um, lagery pills in our flavor, and um, we pretty much just did it as well because. Um, we had a lot of people coming into the bar and they always ask for pilsners and if we don't have any like pilsners from like other breweries on tap we didn't have any pilsners so that's the first pilsner what we did and um, yeah we just pretty much introduced it to the bookie um, series and for us just to add if whenever we have a packaging day I think we get the most excited when it's something from the bookie range because we'll always have a few overfills or underfills and they're the ones yeah they're the ones the brewers find we, we drink. <laughs> our, our, our favorite. We're, yeah, we're really starting really to tote up the reasons why you don't want the owners to hear this podcast. Don't yeah. we? <laughs> <laughs> we're also toting up why they need to send us a slab each month. Yeah. So is it two slabs now or? <laughs> well, it's um, two 16 packs. Let's, let's sort of, you know, compromise. And, and is there anything, is there any, uh, any talk of, adding to the, the Brookie range, to the three beers that you have at the moment, is there anything on the pipeline that's coming down the track for that range? Um, not right now, um, because we introduced it like pretty much in the last few months. Um, we see how it get uh, how that goes in the next probably like half a year, year, and maybe we come up with some fresh ideas um, for the future. But for now, we um, are pretty happy with our three Brookies and... Um, with all the special releases where we have each like second month for each month. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, we uh, we'll we'll move on in a minute to our next beer, um, which Mr. Warren Wu, who I believe is in the room, um, will, will lead. Um, not sure who won the timing thing tonight. I mean. I kind of feel like it ends up being around the same time every night, David. So we kind of need to, not sure how to tackle this one. It pretty much is. Yeah. It's like, it's quarter to, it's quarter to seven. It's almost every single time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, Anyone who hasn't caught onto that just, just really hasn't been paying that much attention, I suppose. I'm going to, I'm going to follow up on my last question for the guys before we move on to the next beer, just because I'm curious what your answer would be. Guys, if you were to add another beer to the Brookie range, what would it be? What would be your Good beer question. of choice if you were going to add one in? Good question. For German, I would say a Hefeweizen, but I don't know. <laughs> 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 but yeah, in Australia, the Hefeweizen is probably not the best choice. <laughs> Brookie Hefeweizen. Jeez. Um. 
I guess mine would have to be like a mid. I'm still just trying to think if you go to a, again, you go to a bolo, what's on tap there. And if it kind of keeps true to that, that kind of vision, it'd have to be like a mid strength. That's the only thing I'm thinking. Okay. About. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's just my thought, not my preference, but a thought anyway. We'll have to get you down to the Flemington and Kensington Bowling Club at some stage because I can assure you they have a much more diverse range of beers uh, on tap there. I'm looking to Oliver Warren in the room to give us a big thumbs up around all of that, but not the average bowling club. And yeah, I'm, then, sell, I'm, selling, I'm selling our bowling clubs very short, aren't I? Yeah, well, <laughs> there's, there's very few that have a range like the Flemington and Kensington Bowling Club, and hopefully that means that I get my membership for free next season. So I do also think, David, <laughs> the Victorian bowling clubs have a more diverse range of beer than New South Wales bowling clubs do. Yeah. Oh. We only have like one craft beer on tap at a bowl, if you're lucky. So I probably can't be worse than that. Well, I feel like there's controversy here. Just... Yeah, I think that, yeah. I feel like we need to do a tour of both. Territory. <laughs> Maybe we could, you, uh, we could do an episode come of the up, podcast. We'll show, you, we'll show you something. We could do an episode of the podcast, David. Uh, New South Wales versus Victoria Bowls Clubs. Yeah, beer bowls. That could a, be our own state of origin. That would be That's pretty good. <laughs> We're in. Sounds good. Love it. Sounds good. Um, and on that, we are we're going to hand the reins over to Warren Wu. We are going to open the jet lag. Um, it's a big can, guys. And for those in the Zoom room, don't feel like you need to drink the entire thing uh, in probably the what's going to be the half an hour that we talk about it. Um, but in true cool room style, I probably will. <laughs> um, Warren, um, over to you. Obviously, we can't see the guys at the moment, but we can still hear you, which sounds great. Um, okay, go so, for Warren. Yeah, thanks, Trav. We so we had this on last year when we spoke to the Nomad Nomad. Um, we had Nomad as a guest. Uh, why had, and we had yeah we had this we had this particular year on. Why did you why did you guys decide to put it on again? Did you have any thoughts? Um, so we had the jet lag um, was a finger lime IPA in a small can um, as our core range. Mm. Um, which we decided to change up to a special release series. So we dropped out the finger lime and we tried to um, do with three different hop combinations, um, or sometimes two, um, to create a really nice, hazy um, IPA. Um, and and obviously the, the finger limes are the big change it when you when you have a bill oh, sorry first of all who's who where did that decision come from to drop the finger lime and and to go with the, the larger format and to make all those those changes like where where who was driving those those decisions it was i guess kind of a team effort we kind of sat down at the time it was nico brooks uh the owners and Myself, we were kind of looking through it. Jetlag had been around since the, the, the get-go. It was one of the core range beers, one of the first beers we brewed. It was one of those beers that was really popular. Anytime people came into the bar or you work festivals, people loved it and always wanted it. But it wasn't our best seller in, in that regard. So we kind of figured, having never been a, a traditionally a big, apart from our Supersonic series, our, just a plain IPA, we'd only ever really had that. So we kind of figured 
try modernizing it. It might be a better way to have a better take on it. So hazy, of course, the most modern thing out of it. And then, yeah, it has changed up a bit of a hop combination. The people who, the big hop heads who like their variety and like all their hops, it kind of appeals a bit more to everyone. But yeah, especially to people like that, we feel that was kind of more targeting the people we believe who are going to be drinking something like the jet lag. Is, what's it like kind of grabbing a pretty popular beer and, and playing with the recipe? Like what, there must be some hesitation because, because if you're on a fairly good wicket to, to throw something mm. else in um, is a little bit of a risk. Yeah, always a bit of a risk involved, but um, it was probably more tougher for Brooks because in, in a way it was his child. He'd kind of birthed it from a young age and got it to the point now where he wanted to make a change for it. So for us, Nico and I was a bit easier, but yeah, it definitely was a not a hard conversation in that regard, but it was a it was one you had to be open-minded about. And yeah, it's kind of hard to move on from the past, but we've kind of learned through our time here that yeah, you've got to be open to change. So we kind of felt it was necessary. And speaking of change, is there other what have you let us in on other things that have changed? Like why have you guys had a hand in in evolving over the time you've been with the with the company and what what how's that how's it gone? Um, yeah, really well. We are a really good relationship with um, our company. Um, Carrie, the owner, wants to um, like pretty much um, challenge us with um, pretty much everything what comes up to the front, pretty much. So with um, developing new recipes, with um, pretty much everything what Brooks, our old tap brewer, did, um, we share now as well, plus our old drops. Um, three weeks in, um, it's a really good challenge. Um, and it makes fun. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really good for the future. And also, I really love to um, like develop the recipes. Um, it's kind of like an art kind of like thing. You have like so many different ingredients what you, you can add into a beer and just alone with like hops, um, yeast molds, you can do over like four to five million different beers. There's so many hop variations out. There are so many malt variations out, yeast variations. And then you can also change the water. It's just crazy what you can do just with four ingredients. And then you can also add like fruit and everything. Just fascinating. I'm, I'm interested, Nico, that now that you brought this up, um, obviously Germany is kind of really famous for, for the, the idea of the four of those four ingredients kind of being, being the pure expression of beer. Whereas in Australia at the moment, there's a lot of evolution. There's a lot of, a lot of exper experimentation. How's that sit with you in regards to, to your craft and your beer making? Um, I'm kind of interested to, whenever I, I speak to a German brewer, I think it's kind of interesting to see what, what they're taking on it is um yeah so in germany we um kind of like get in the school like um teach the reinheitsgebot so just to brew with the four ingredients because of like in the history um it was around like 1500 um 16 when like a few persons died because of um so-called wild brewing where they put like everything what they found in the forest into a beer so a lot of people died in um, 
not nice ways. <laughs> We've never, so I've we're... never heard that part of the story before, to be honest. <laughs> and and... and that, that's why the Reinhardtsgebot was invented to prevent um, people from dying, from and... like putting everything what you find into a beard. It might just be me, but like going into a forest and just picking everything and putting it into the beer sounds like the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, it does. And, and no, at the same time, because there's so, like in 1500s, you didn't know what is not poison or what is poison. Today, it's fine. Put that on yeah, a label. It sounds amazing until you die, <laughs> yeah, Until you die. Well, you know, like uh, two meter tall, the guys down in Tasmania, they do a beer where they just wander down the Derwent or along the, that part of the property and just pick all the stuff that's along that side of the Derwent and brew it. It's, <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah, so, you don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, so, oh, wow. I, I was, yeah, I've never heard, like David, I've never heard the, the story that, that that law came about because someone died. Well, that's where laws normally <laughs> go when it all comes down to it. But, yeah, someone actually died from brewing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, so, um, yeah, in that respect, yeah. How does that relate to how you brew and what you're doing and 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 the craziness is you're you're currently involved in? <laughs> so I actually um, enjoy uh, like the difference what um, like New Zealand, Australia, or even um, America does um, because with like for example uh, raspberries um, like one of our like sour beers uh, we put in raspberries and it's just so amazing how the beers turns out like you can do with fruits um, with herbs so much creation like mm. with um, like the cacao um, nips you can do like really amazing chocolate styles or just add vanilla to a beer and mm. it's just mm. crazy what you can do. Um, this is probably a tricky question. Um, but what do you think, uh, from a brewer's point of view, what do you think's the best way to re-engage with um, craft beer drinkers who, who have kind of, who probably had Nomad and, and decided it wasn't exactly for them? Uh, um, yeah. That's David's question, by the way. So I, I take no responsibility for that. <laughs> and I have no idea where he was going with it. No, that's all right. It's, it's a good question because it's a, a big thing. I guess having known that Nomad now coming up soon, being seven years old, we've been around for a bit under half of that. I guess it's a, a thing trying to, if people, you know, have dealt with this in the past maybe aren't looking to really willing. Well, at the time they maybe had our beers, didn't really rate them and had moved on from us. The thing I say to those people is, for me, Nico, personally, it's just we put in so much effort every day. We're continually applying ourselves. We're doing everything we can on our side. I know from when I first started to now, we kind of, me in particular, joined when there was a, not a rough time, but there was a big staff change over. Like, there's a lot of changes going on. To where it is to today, I, there's just such a more emphasis on quality. We've, we have a microbiologist in. We've got all the lab equipment we need we're doing so many strenuous testing things like for us we're every day in day out we're doing our best and to, to us we think we're putting out the best beer we can so for those who are looking to re-engage with nomad to me it's a thing i guess with craft beer as well like it's a constantly changing thing there's so many new different varieties of beers out there 
I think we're doing enough to give everyone, for whatever style of beer you like or prefer, we're, we're doing enough to, I think, engage people to spark that interest for them to get involved. Cool. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Hmm. That makes a ton of sense. And and actually, for that, for, sorry, just to keep going on that too, like for me and Nico, going back to what he was saying as far as our owner, challenging us and trying to engage us more for us now that we're kind of running the show, we're trying to put more of an emphasis on kind of meeting the people who are drinking our beer. I feel like there's kind of a, a common thing where we're out in the back of the brewery just slaving away, just brewing the beer, not really engaging with customers. But now I think we're going to a lot more events, doing things like this, the tremendous podcast, engaging with people who are actually drinking our beers and giving us real-time feedback for it. So we're kind of engaging all those avenues to really find out what people really think and adapt it. Like we both know what we're doing. Nico's got so much knowledge. We, we If people want this or that, we're just trying to find that out, what they like, what they don't like about our beers. And yeah, just trying to really do everything we can to continually improve and get people coming back for more, hopefully. That's, it brings on an interesting thing. And this is, this is a thought I have when, when all make, when I talk to anyone who makes things like brewers or mm. distillers or winemakers or whatever, what, how do you deal? And I know it's a, it's a tough question because you, you can't, you can't answer in relation to other answers, but how do you feel when someone gives you bad feedback? Like what is, are you guys the, the nod and okay, yeah, sure. Kind of um, people or do you, what, how do you take that feedback? I mean, you can't pleasure every taste. Um, some people love your beers. Some other people hate your beers. Um, but if people come up and say like there are misflavors or um, some all points where have to look in, um, then we take we take that. We look into it, and um, we try to make the best beer we can with what we have, pretty much. Hmm. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that makes sense. That's good. Um, I'm gonna throw another. I'm gonna throw another ridiculous question at you. It's our traditional cool room question. We all ask all our guests the same one. Uh, what is? And you can. I, I. I. I don't even know where I was going with that statement. But let's let's just march on. Um, okay. I, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Uh, what is the craziest, weirdest? most amusing thing you've seen in a cool room and we're pretty broad you can you can you can move away from the cool room if it's been any hospitality venue any beer manufacturing venue okay um so it was in my first week of my apprenticeship um it ha actually happened to me um so after the filling um barrels um in a day you have to push the line through with water. And um, the filter line, like where you actually pump beer into a tank, with the filling line where you actually get the beer out of the tank, we're next to each other. And I grabbed the wrong hose and put it onto the water. And so I filtered the beer into the water line. And it took, um, I think, like 10 or 15 minutes for everyone to figure it out. And someone all opened the water tap and beer was coming out of the water. <laughs> so, like, um, pretty much everywhere in the brewery, like, we had some chemical showers and everything. Um, it got tested everywhere. Um, beer came out of there. So you could literally shower with beer. 
That's a very that's a pretty um, happy um, story. I like that one. We've had I some really like we- one. Yeah. And yeah, that was my first week of my apprenticeship, so I was fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never do that same mistake again. <laughs> mm. Well, not by accident anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, how about you, Chris? Um, he he's just gone for a toilet for two minutes. Oh, <laughs> oh that's Excellent. We can say all sorts of things about oh. him behind his back then, but because he's not on video, we don't know when he's going to be back. It's like a little yeah, sort of jeopardy per- perfect timing. And <laughs> and probably just before we were going to take our, our mid-session break as well. Hmm. Well, we can hold over our call room question for him because I think that's one that we'd, we'd like to get. But yeah, totally. can, can I ask you one quick question about the hops in the beer that we're having at the moment, the, the jet lag? Uh, Vic yeah. Secret and Citra, uh, ones that we're pretty familiar with here, but the Brew Dash One Lupomax, uh, I presume that's a new hop. Are you able to tell us anything about that one in particular? It sounds to me, if I was going to be a wrestler that had a hop name, I reckon Lupomax might be the name that I'd go for. So, um, where is that? What can you tell us about that hop? Uh, as far as the brew one, when I was the one Brooks, uh, oh, he's, he's just something. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> sorry, yeah, I just I went and got more beer. I had a, I had a quick little time out, but now I'm back. You never have to apologise for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the brew one to me because I was sitting in with Brooks when he was making the recipe, and I kind of laughed because I just thought it was some cheesy New Zealand hop, kind of being brew, as in hey brew, brew, and so. But yeah, no, it's just it's a, it's a really tropical, extremely mm. pineapple pineapple mm. hop. Like as far as the combination that we, we're going with. Um, yeah, really tropical fruits, really, to me, it just tastes a lot like pineapple juice. It's really pineapple-y. And as far as Lupamax, it's kind of a, there's different varieties of hops. You can get, of course, a hop variety, but they come in different forms. Lupamax is essentially a more concentrated version of Brew One. So Brew One is the hop. Yeah, Brew okay. One Lupamax is the, is a type of hop. So yeah, the hyper hop. So essentially, it's a more a concentrated version of Brew One. But it really is what gives it this beer, the really pineapple punch you're getting if you're drinking it now. Yeah, <laughs> and is it, is it the production process that um, that makes it more concentrated? So, you know, we sort of dealing with more of a brick or hop hash style product when it when it gets added. We still get it in the pellet form, so it's still a pelletized form of hops. Uh, as far as the exact production behind it, I'm not 100, but it varies a little bit because most hops we ever get in a T90 form, which is a, a hop pellet that contains 90 percent of the hop vine. Or you get in the T45, which contains 45% of it. So it's a more concentrated. So it's just, yeah, it's just a more concentrated, more more potent. So we don't have to use as much of it. Oh, there you go. You can so if you see Max anywhere on anything, you know, you now know what it means. Yeah. I do. It's entirely plausible that I'll forget and ask another someone, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, on that note, let's uh let's adjourn for a Let's adjourn proceedings for five minutes. Cool room yeah. <laughs> and then oh, we'll address the cool room question. Maybe at the end of the second, maybe at the, the end of the oh, second. Oh, yeah, yeah. Easy. Let me know and I'll, I'll hit with it. Well, welcome back, everyone. We're here for the second half of our chat with our new friends from Nomad, uh, making sure that we've got the rod dipper and the powder day cookies and cream near to hand so that we can discuss them with the guys, making sure that you go back and check the archives as well for the last time that we uh, 
had Brooks from Nomad on so that we can hear a bit more about the fingerline version uh, of the jet lag that we've just been enjoying. Um, guys, asking a few hard questions tonight, and I'm gonna gonna do that now. Sorry to sorry to go here, but. I feel like maybe a month or so ago, maybe a couple of months ago, all the brewers in Australia must have got together and um, and decided they were going to brew red IPAs uh, because it feels like there's been about 10 of them come onto the market in the last week or so. Um, yeah, well, we started with the wet suit kind of like a... A little bit over a year ago, was it over Christmas? Um, we did it. Um, we did an amber ale last for the beer cartel advent calendar. The year before that, we did um, our Super Saint Rosa, which is really popular. Right? Yeah. So literally, since three years, um, we're trying, to, uh, maybe two and a half years, we're trying to get like um, from a bit kind of like sort of style, like a red, a dark. Um, Pilsner, kind of like in our range. So um, we probably continue doing um, every year a red IPA. If it's a double or not, um, we will see. But that's how so, our um, rod got into uh, our series this year. So, so would you guys be arguing that you've actually started the trend and that every other brewery in Australia has just followed in the last week or so rather than you're obviously just not part of a, a massive push from all the brewers. Um, I would say no, but no, not bad. I, 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 can have so I, don't, I don't want you. To, I don't want you to break with the brewers' union. Right <laughs> here, I feel like I. Um, so look, tell us a bit more about this one, and tell us from the start. Now, my. My Norwegian's not what it could be, but what does what does rod mean? And tell us a bit about this beer in particular. It means um, rot, like uh, red. Sorry, it was German. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so it just means actually like red beer. And um, we choose the color to um, bring out like the specific malts that we put in there, which um, gives you uh, kind of like. Toffee base, um, kind of like caramel, um, Swedish maltiness in there. And then we add the hops, um, Talus, um, Citra, and Amarillo is the other one. Amarillo to give it like a slightly citrusy note in the end. Mm. Um, but still, you get like a kind of like herbal. Um, Poppy note with the Taylors and the Amarillo. Amarillo. And we, we went with rod, not just because it sounds cool, but we used um, Kvike yeast, which is a Norwegian strain of yeast. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with that. So it was our first time on a commercial scale using it. So it's just a super fast fermenting yeast, and it was kind of cool to actually see it work. So, yeah, hence the name. Now, that's a yeast we've encountered a few times in the mm. cool room and we've sort of had different brewers give uh, give different reasons for using it i guess some is just mm. because it ferments at different temperatures some mm. because it ferments in a different way or <clears throat> pardon me ferments out different sort of of the sugars mm. what was the attraction to to using that yeast because obviously there's a bit of a a risk in changing yeasts and doing something different like that 
All I did is we went with the uh, the Vosk Vike strand, which is a neutral strand, so you're not really looking to get too many other flavors from it. But uh, Kvike is kind of a home brewer's dream yeast. It's a, as far as the temperature for a lot of, well, more, normal fermentation, you'll stand between 16 and 20 degrees. This one we did at 36, 37. So we transferred it into the fermenter super hot. And while normal fermentation takes about, you know, it can take five to eight days, with this, it gets done in two days. It just absolutely smashes it out. It's, it's, it's really interesting, especially as far as brewing goes. You can turn a beer around just so quick compared to normal. But yeah, it, we're really pleased with it. it. It turned out really good. It's a good, it's a good, uh, good weapon to have in your, in your arsenal, so to speak, if need be. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, so, how do you get along in terms of the marketing of this beer and stuff? And this might even be a question that Ryan might want to um, unmute himself for. So Ryan. Uh, from experience has been in the room with us. He often unmutes himself and adds comments to our podcast as we go along. Because when I was typing up the notes for uh, for this podcast, I spelt this just with a normal O in the middle, R-O-D. And uh, I, got, I very quickly got a message from the marketing department suggesting that it needed to be a proper Norwegian O in the middle. Um, exactly, Ryan, you know, how important is it that people pronounce road correctly and use the correct lettering? I think it's, uh, if, if you look back to all the famous rods in the world, probably 90% of them come from a Norwegian uh, background, like Rod Stewart. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> I love you for this. It's, it's, it's where you, you like... Yeah, it needs to be Rod. Rod. I want to know how many other rods Ryan's got up his sleeve. I was hoping he was going to go with Rudy Ruddy Paper. Rod Rodney Rick Rude. So his <laughs> his married name was his his name before he got married was Rick Rude. Um, uh, yes, I, 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 I'm not a big old rod aficionado, so. I'm making you that T-shirt, but let's not go into that any further. <laughs> Thank you for that little interlude there, Ryan. Um, I want to return to that to the idea of the the red malts and how you get the colour and so forth. Some people who are listeners to us uh, are very familiar with brewing processes, but not everyone is. So, what makes a? Uh, can you tell us how you get that red colour? How you select the malts and what makes a red malt rather than say a pilsner malt or for that matter a uh, one of the ones you might use in a stout like we'll be going to yeah so on the malt process um it depends on how long you roast the malt um, in uh, different kind of temperatures um, that you get like different colors so the longer you roast the malt the darker it gets and at a certain point uh, it will have the color um like kind of like a reddish and um, you also get can get like a little bit darker or a little bit lighter and then just mix it with like a little bit darker mold, a little bit lighter mold to kind of like meet in the middle. Um, but it's a really small scale to get like a red beer, proper red. It's a really fine, let's say, like dance in between the lines to get what you want. And this really does have that red colour in it. It's, a, it's an amazing sort of glass to hold up to the light or a bit of paper. Um, I've got, a first of all, a, a comment from the room, and Jeff is saying it's a crack of a red IPA because uh, and he's surprised in the sense of he doesn't normally like Kavak 
yeast beers. Mm. Um, I don't think I've had a, a red brewed with this yeast before. Have you encountered any others elsewhere around the world? Um, actually, no. That's actually the first um, correct yeast um, what I actually brewed with. So it was kind of like a good experience, especially when you put like the sample to measure um, like the beer into a glass and the glass was actually so warm. We were like, oh, fuck that. That must be wrong. And you're like, <laughs> oh, wait, that, that's quick yeast. <laughs> and the other question we had from Craig, who's in the room with us, um, and I feel like I'm about to say a Donald Trump word like Kavefe or something here, but uh, we've got here the uh, Carafa special in the grain bill, or, or is there? And um, if so, how much? Which is a ripper of a technical question. So, um, The Carafa special um, one, two, or? Well, well that's... Like, um... Explain, like, explain to those of us who may not understand, and let's just pretend that I'm one of those, uh, what we're talking about there. Is, um, like a woolly um, roasted uh, malt, and it depends on like Carafa Special, Carafa Special 1, Carafa Special 2, the um, kind of like color it gives, and also like the roast aroma. So... Um, like Carafa Special gives like the lowest and then it goes kind of like higher. And in a wall brew of, um, let's say you have 5,000 liters of beer and um, you would use not more than two and a half to 5% in a wall brew. Otherwise it gets just too overwhelming uh, from the aroma and too, yeah, too dark. I can't get it if you want a dark beer, but... Hmm. Yeah, too overwhelming to the roast ever That's uh that's a fantastic answer, I've got to say. I wouldn't have had any idea that it was you know in there to begin with. So can we change tack a little bit? Talk about can art, which is something that we love to chat about here. And I've got to say that I love this label. I love the colour on it, which I think gives a real taste of what we're gonna get inside, but it's a very it's a very eclectic sort of image. Um how much interaction do you guys have as brewers with the people who do the design work for the labels and, or is this just two separate teams working separately? And um, a follow-up even before you answer, which is, do you wish you had more? How does that creative process work? Um, I think for the sake of everyone willing to buy our beer or people we want to buy our beer, it's probably good. We don't have any input on the, <laughs> <laughs> on the label design or you'd never buy it. But um no, uh, us personally, we don't have any involvement with the actual label design, but from the get-go, we've dealt with um, a freelance artist called Rachel Walkerton. She's a local artist just from Manly, so not far from where we are. She does it all, so it's really good. So for me, whenever I, re- I show any of my friends my beers, my beer, our beers that we do, um, they always ask the first thing they comment on is the art for it. So for us, it's pretty, for me, it's pretty special to... In today's day and age, where if you go into a craft beer shop and any bottle shop and you see the insane variety of craft beer and how many different choices you are, you have to stand out. Regardless of what the beer is, the, the label kind of says, speaks volumes before you even get to read what's on there. So I think we're really lucky to have Rachel do the designs for us. And yeah, um, she's got a wide variety of things she does. So we're, we're grateful to have her on board. And um, we had a question very early on when we were tasting the Brookie about whether uh, why the different look for that and is she responsible for that look as well or have you gone with a different design team 
um, to do the brookie uh, stuff? That's a good question. Um, um, the design behind that, I'm not 100% sure I'd say she's more likely responsible for it, but I think with that design, we've gone with just more of the traditional look. I think for we're trying to sell that beer for what it is. It doesn't have to be the fanciest label. There's no point putting everything on there. It's just there. that range is just a range of beers. So we've gone with a very classic kind of old school, minimalistic uh, design with it. And um, I guess, you know, you managed to avoid this question earlier on, brother, by scurrying off to you had to go <laughs> yeah, to the toilet or get more beer or something like that. But the time has come. Uh, and hopefully you've had another beer in the meantime. So, you know, you can now give this matter full honesty, which is um, about the strangest or most confronting thing that you've ever seen in a cool room um, or the biggest mistake you've seen someone make, not necessarily yourself, but good if you want to be honest. Um, and if it's something that's happened at Nomad and the owners don't know about, don't worry. For the cost of another slab, we won't share this story with them either. No, I'm trying to think because the pressure's on because me going to, to get a drink or go get a beer made look like I was trying to run from it. And Damn not right. A good story. Damn yeah, right. I, I know the pressure's on. Um, uh, core in specific, I used to work at a bottle shop growing up. So, well, not growing up, when I at, when I was of age, when I was 19. That was when so I, the most confronting I, thing I've ever seen <laughs> in a cool room is 12 other 11-year-olds having yeah, to move just, cases of beer around. <laughs> um, no, I used to work at, um, I won't name the, the chain, but it was, we had cameras can, everywhere. Can you give us a hint? Um, it rhymes with schmickish man. I'm more confused is than I was. that a Melbourne thing? <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, it was liquor land, I'll just say it. I don't ah, know. Yes. <laughs> No, but um, yeah, like we we knew where all the cameras were, and we, there was a, a golden spot which was in the cool room, and there was no cameras in there. Uh, so essentially, my gold, golden spot. Where does well, this story go? Uh, well, the gold. A, a sad night. A sad night. Saturday night shift quickly turns into paid pre drinks. So we just would just take turns, me and the guy working, just drinking in there. And then that just continued endlessly, and then it hit the point where realized we weren't the only one. So we would often find a rogue bottle of VB floating around in there that was drunk. And we could never figure out what it was. And we started tracing it down. It turned out this one trader who came in about four o'clock on the dot every Arvo would walk in and grab a beer from the from the fridges, walk into the cool room, neck it within about 10 seconds and just take off. But he knew the sweet spot. He knew it like he knew, like we he knew our secret somehow. So he <laughs> Yeah, he was across it. We, we we pulled him up on it and then he kind of, he never showed up again, but hats off to him. The the irony of it being he had all the beers in the world to choose from and he, he took VB every time. <laughs> well, you see, we can approach this in one of two ways and that that's certainly one take. The other is that yeah. VB drinkers have great spatial awareness, apparently. Or they VB do, drinkers yeah, are we're, trying we're... to hide what they're doing. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> yeah, we have not given them enough credit or yeah, they're as ashamed as I feel like they should be and just hide from it. That's pretty sweet, I've got to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, hopefully people are moving towards the end of their road and we'll give people a minute or two to get ready for the cookies and cream. Um, in the meantime, just give everyone a little reminder of, um, if you're listening on the, listening on the podcast, 
would be fantastic if you could rate and review us. Uh, it's really important a way for us to get the message out there about the podcast. Um, it means we move up the charts that Apple uh, have and various other podcast platforms have. Um, and look, even if you're joining us in the room tonight and you don't regularly join as a podcast listener, even if you can just jump on and subscribe, it just helps to push uh, the podcast along. It makes a big difference for when we're going for interviews with high-profile brewers, particularly interstate ones like Nomad, overseas ones like we've had before, um, because they look at all that kind of stuff and their marketing gurus look at that and um if you want to continue to enjoy fantastic guests like tonight um it's really important that they know that we're a high rating podcast um how are people going in the zoom room give us a thumbs up if you're ready to move on give us a thumbs down if you need a minute more it's a, this is a real no one's I, ever going to be. No one's ever going to be willing to give me the thumbs down, and I think that's a that's a big and important. Well, Travis isn't no, ready. I'm kidding. I'm, I just wanted to do it to see what you do. At least I'm looking at you, brother. Um, why don't you therefore kick us off with a bit of a start into the cookies and cream? I love the label on this. Uh, it feels so specific to the Melbourne weather, as uh, as a few of the people in the Zoom room are noting. Yeah, so um, the behind uh, between the cookies and cream um, starts with the powder day. Um, the powder day is our stout series um, where we add, um, like in the, in the winter season, we're going to do like three to four um, series of the powder day. So that's one base beer where we add um, different kind of uh, flavors. Like our base beer was like first... Um, the coconut and um, chocolate, cho chocolate, yeah. coconut um, chocolate, and um, yeah, like with um, that cookies and cream right now, like the cookies and cream, um, you really get it on the smell. Um, it smells kind of like a little bit choky, mm. and um, then the cream is actually coming into the taste. So. Once you taste it, you have a really full, um, sweet body, um, which turns like really creamy. You can kind of like see it, like it kind of like looks like um, oil kind of like thing. And um, that's just like the really full kind of like body um, with pretty much all the sugars we have in there like all the unfermentables from the special malts. Now, we've sort of learned a bit more about unfermentables over the journey in the last week or two, month or two. How do you take account of those? We first started to talk about this in terms of sour beers and fruit beers and so forth, about making sure that the, the best flavours and colours, for that matter, weren't fermented out of sort of fruit beers. But... How do you know if you're a, a novice home brewer or someone like that? How do you try to keep those non-fermentables and how do you know what will survive the brewing process and still be there present as a flavour at the end? Um, you literally have to look into it. Um, so you have to um, kind of like hit the mold specifics up to kind of like see how much unfermentables they have, how much not. And um, you... You can calculate it or you could use like um, there are meanwhile 
so many beer apps um, out or like like called uh, Beersmith, um, where they have everything saved in the system, like all the molds and calculate it for yourself pretty much, which is um, really easy to use as well. So for home brewers, it I think how much is Beersmith costs like five dollars or something and Mm. Calculates it. But sorry, I was getting uh, my friend Travis is clearly <laughs> left. left, <laughs> left that's, that, that's all good. That's all right. Um, so you've already talked to us a little bit, but talk to us a bit about the flavors we're getting in in this beer, and um, I guess as well how it will change as it sort of sits in the glass and warms up, like all good stouts do. Okay, yeah. so at the start, um, you have like um, pretty much just the malt peel um, and the smell. And then as soon as it warms up, you get like um, maybe like a slightly burn down the throat, which comes from the 7.8%. Um, and um, like a little bit more of the creaminess and flavor comes out. And that creaminess, where are we getting that? from how does that how do you from the lactose um so we put lactose into the brew and that gives you kind of like the extra creaminess and sugary with the specials and and back on the unfermentables as far as um lactose is unfermentable brewers yeast can't ferment lactose so anything milked out or anything with lactose will give you a bigger body sweet of beer so it's a double milk stout so we use um a fair bit of lactose in there, and that's what gives you that real sweet body. When you when you're making a beer like this, sorry, David. No, no, go go. When you're making a beer like this, and you 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 kind of you've got in your mind that you go add all the malts in the in the grist and with that have unfermentable sugars. When when does it hit a point where you're just going? It's a little bit ridiculous. Like, does it come into your mind and <laughs> go? That's a whole bunch of sugar. This is going to be really sweet, but but fuck it, let's go. Like, is, is is it? Does that hit your head? Is that the thought that you have when you're when you're kind of putting the idea of these beers together? Um, there's there's like a point um, what you can hit. Um, it's like the maximum you can get out of the molds with um, the brew house efficiency. So there's just a great the brew house can like actually efficient use the um, sugars that is in the mold and um, if you don't add any extra sugars um, you won't hit like uh, like you just hit a plateau and you can't get through it where you have like that much sugar that you get like a um, like 12% or 14% beer pretty much so. You know, I love the fact that you answered that as a technical question where I was just being cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is the there thing- a point where a brewer just goes, ah, that's too much sugar. That's like a that's like a deeds level of sugar. We can't do that. I think the thing is, well, especially with the stout where you're meant to get the chocolate and roast notes, if you go turbo on the, the sugar and the sweetness, you're gonna throw the balance out for it. So it is a not treading a fine line, but it's like any beer style, you're trying to find a balance where you want there to be like a good sweet, there's a body and a good sweetness to it. 
But I mean, if we just chop this thing full of lactose, then it just tastes like you're drinking a glass full of black sugar. Like it wouldn't wouldn't have much taste to it. So balance is the question. I think the answer to the question you're you're asking. Yeah, perfectly. Yeah, perfectly booked by both of you. It was excellent. I was about to ask Shana whether she wanted to ask the question that she just typed in the room, but it, it's, it sort of follows on logically, so I might just take the running with it, which is that where what's the difference between mouthfeel, body, palate, all of those sorts of phrases that uh, beer aficionados like those of us who are joining us on Zoom, but not necessarily those who are listening on the podcast, uh, chuck around so easily. Um do you feel there's a difference between words like body and palate and mouthfeel and, you know, what is the lactose adding to all of those different bits? So the big thing being we're, I think starting with the Brookie draft, comparing it to this is a really good example. So terms like mouthfeel, body, palate, they all relate to the same thing. And that's essential from the brewer's point of view, or it's about the amount of residual sugars left over in the beer residual meaning the amount of unfermentables. So for a beer, which is like a draft or a, a dry or a beer that's deemed a dry beer has a very low amount of residual sugars in it. So there's little to no sweetness. On the other end of the spectrum, there's a thing like a powdered ACLB, which has a high amount of residual sugars, which means there's more sweetness. So the sweetness from things like the lactose, so to answer your question, uh, it's essentially lactose adds sweetness to the beer. So once you finish drinking the beer, you get all the flavors from it. But then, yeah, you get a, a big bodied, just a, a very, very sugary mouthfeel. So, yeah, essentially it all relates to just the unfermentables in the beer. So to keep in mind, the less, less fermentables mean it's drier, the more means it's more fuller on the palate. So anything lactose is sweet and it's full. That's the best thing to keep in mind. Now, we we're trying to entice one of our regular uh, listeners, Mark from Seaford. Pleasure to have visited your house twice last weekend as I dropped off the wrong thing the first time around, but that's that's a good. I had a good time down in Seaford. Um, Mark was asking, but he doesn't want to ask the question himself, but it's a, it's a ripper question, about traditional uh, darker beers, particularly sort of European stouts, um, how common is the use of lactose? And I guess to put that maybe a slightly different way, it seems to me that we've seen more and more lactose in, in beers over the last five years. Um, when did it sort of become a, a thing to use and how long has it been part of the process? Um, for me personally, since I started with Nomad. Mm -hmm. And in Tuatawa, I actually did just one beer with lactose. And I actually just um, like started there when I already had it in the tank and I literally just put in some flavors. That's pretty much it. Um, but yeah, it's um, really interesting because like when you compare like a beer, um, like a normal stout um, without any lactose, it's just like um, a touch drier, like kind of like a... Um, when you have like a really dry wine compared to a really like full on sweet, let's say summer wine. Um, that's kind of like the difference between like when you add lactose compared to like when you don't add lactose. It gives like also like a, 
I would, I would say like lactose always gives like a kind of like touch of vanillary, kind of like a, just like a touch, not much, but it kind of like adds to it. Um, and just for those of you playing at home who uh, may, or even more to put, maybe listen to the podcast version and, and can't quickly Google like I did, milk stouts, uh, which obviously are related to the, what we're having right now, uh, became popular in the 1800s. So I'll, I'll let everyone go back and do their exploration of the idea from there, because that's as much as I could uh, as I could Google in the very short term that I had available to me. But it is all part of that sort of, you know, Guinness is good for you and related style of, of drinks that this was uh, interpreted as a style of beer that was um, potentially healthier or at least more nutritious compared to what might be termed a thinner style of beer that people might have had back in the past. Um, if you disagree with that view, feel free to um, message Warren Wu uh, on his Facebook account. Um, I, was, one... I was just thinking, how many lactoses do you find in a black, like, German forest? Do you think there's lots of lactoses? I think that's what killed the people in the food. <laughs> oh, forget oh. it. Don't worry. Uh, lactos don't kill people. <laughs> people uh, kill people. People kill people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Just, just to jump in, knowing that everyone has the Brookie Dark and the Powder Day in their, their tasting kit, yeah, they're two great examples of Brookie Dark doesn't have lactose. That's a dark beer, which is more on the dry side of things, while Powder Day is more on the other end of the spectrum, way more sweet. So that's a really good example of comparing yeah. the two opposite ends of what a dry to full mouthfeel is. Yeah, that's a killer suggestion. Uh, yeah, and if you, yeah, to be honest, we, I've done it before where if you try Powder Day, then you try Brookie Dark. It's the, it just tastes so different. Like you, if you did it the other way around, like it makes powder, it makes Brookie Dry taste not watery, but it's substantial the difference in what the what lactose actually adds to it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just that, that's that's the best I recommend. That two pervy beers to give, I guess, to let you train. To know what yeah dry and full dark beers taste like they're two good examples um we've got finally thank goodness someone who's in the room who's uh wanting to ask their question publicly <laughs> jeff we're gonna unmute you while i chat oh thank you to whoever made that happen if that was you yourself jeff even better um you've got a really interesting question mate so fire away thanks david um look i've been staring at the cans and looking at the design and all that. And I've noticed that um, the beers are imported into France. So I'm wondering why France and are they big nomad fans? So this question, the, the answer doesn't relate directly to powder day. I think you relate. I can't remember what beers it related to. It was a, a year or two back. We imported beers. I think it was to France. So when we first started, we, Traditional beer cans, well, not traditional, but most beer cans are small size of 375. We started off with 330 mils because I believe at the time that was most popular in the UK. So if I actually look on our label, there should be one which, God, I'm trying to look at it now. It doesn't look like it has it now, but we used to have one that used to say France. One was, I think, Norway and one was Italy. Because in the past few years at different times, we actually imported a few beers over there. So kind of, I think it was more or less just to cover us in case we do have to cut, send any more back because they do require that labeling. We put that on there. So Nico and I personally went through and relabeled 
I think oh, like 10,000 10, cans yeah. <laughs> or oh, something stupid just well, to say. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we, yeah, something like 10 to 12,000 cans. Just like each can in my head. So that's why they're now on there now so we don't have to work as hard. So these aren't in France, but if they want it, we can send it without us relabeling <laughs> it. <laughs> And is that a bit of the history of Nomad and, I guess, experience, it, which we've heard about before and particularly sort of the Italian backgrounds there? Brian, again, feel free to jump in and do some bad puns on that if you like. No, 100%. So we, uh, the owners, Kerry and Johnny, originally, they're from Australia, but they were living in Italy at the time before Nomad became a thing and they were massive wine importers into Australia. Uh, and they kind of decided they want to get craft beer in Australia. So they brought Brooks, who was at the time a brewer, uh, protege brewer at Bira del Borgo, which was a big Italian craft brewery, and brought him over. So I think from our from the get-go, I've had a very big European influence. Me personally, um, I only speak one language. I was born and raised in Australia, but the brew house, which I learned to brew, so having no knowledge on anything about brewing, was all in Italian for the first two years. Oh, come so, on, you've got to tell us a bit more about that. What's the, what's yeah, the story so, there? So when Brooks came over, they came over with um, him and I think one or two other Italian brewers. The owners speak Italian. It was just an all, all Italian affair. So I don't know if they had the foresight to think um, non-Italian workers would work at Nomads. So even now we go through it where a lot of things uh, either have Italian writing on it or more particularly, yeah, the brew house, which is we have... Um, our brew house is sent from Italy, so uh, so was our keg machine, so so was our can. Everything was and sent. half of half of the tanks as well. Just half half all of our stuff was from Italy. So yeah, so for a long time I got trained up on how to to brew in Italian, and there'd be alarms and stuff ringing off, and it would all be in Italian. Uh, come on, good, good. Can you give us an impersonation of that because it. it Wait. See, that's where it's tough because um, Kerry, the owner, keeps telling me I should know Italian by now because... Yeah, that's because exactly what I'm getting at. That's exactly right. So there's a fourth slab. I've been pushing, I've been trying to I find a way to angle was, that in, but... I, I don't, don't quote me this, but I think alert, which is a like a, a bad sign, is alert to Zione in Italian. And I'd get that all the time. And I just have no idea what I was doing. And I'd bluff my way through it. And then it wasn't until like maybe a year and a year and a half ago, we got our electrician to come in and the the people who the Italians who own the the company send us the information to change it and we change it to English. And it made and now it says a little and you understand what's going on? Yeah, now it's a lot easier. Like um the it's good to know I wasn't far off the whole time. I wasn't doing anything wrong. But yeah, like we're still we we still deal with things now where uh every our keg machine the other day was playing up and we everything we have is in Italian and there's a there's a big European background to it. Like it's yeah, there's a lot of European connections. And it's really hard to get like holy shit, Griff. You're pretty over there. Um, another like we, we sent them emails to like get like a CPU for their keck line, and they just don't come back to you. Like they just don't come back. <laughs> so we have to get more electricians in to fix the problems and. Try to. That's amore. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to say, it sounds like quite a fantastic sort of episode of The Simpsons where Homer, you know, Homer's desk is brought in from Italy and the alarms keep on going off and he just keeps on mashing the buttons to see what happens. But, you know. 
You're not far off. And, pretty much. <laughs> and the funny thing, we're sitting at our um, Brooks, uh, uh, Brooks's old desk and we used to use, his, the whole thing used to be in Italian. So we'd come use his emails to do stuff and just imagine using Google, I guess, Gmail in Italian. It, it's not as easy as it sounds, but. No, it'd be all Alertzione, <laughs> I imagine. There'd be Alertzione's all yeah. over the place. Alert firing off left, right, and center. I've, I've got another question from someone who uh, wants me to ask this question, even if they don't want to ask it themselves. Um, you've, you guys have obviously got a lot of different sort of series of beers going on. We've heard about the, the, uh, the Red Series. Um, what have you got? coming up that we're going to be experiencing soon what are the beers that are in the tanks and oh, what are the beers that the two of you um really want to talk about uh you know that you're particularly passionate personally about brewing and putting out there and ryan's going to give me a big thumbs up here to say that you guys can talk about what all those secret projects because this could be months oh. before we get this before we get this one out in public. <laughs> um or it could be 24 hours either way tell us what's tell us what's coming up that's going to be really fun that um we should be encouraging all of our friends who maybe haven't had a nomad for a little while what one should that be getting their lips around so you're trying right now the powder day um the next line in the series is gonna be a powder and shock orange do you all know the jaffa flavor oh yes we do oh, yes we do yeah so we already got it in the tank and can tell you it tastes one-to-one like the jaffa flavor and it's Already like my favorite part of day so far. And I can't wait for it. <laughs> How far off do you reckon it is? Sorry? How far away? When when will that be? Um, we actually can it in the next two weeks. So it's gonna be ready in three to four weeks. So three to four weeks, it's gonna be on the market. Wow. And um, yeah, you may want to say something more about the uh, other things. Literally today, I just brewed, we just brewed the second series in the jet lag. Um, so the jet lag series. So again, that concept being is it's not just a one, a one-off thing. We're going to just keep continually doing it with uh, new hops. So we've got a new one in the tank. So there's a new one coming. I won't say what hops coming yet, but there's a new one coming for that for sure. And the other one being, which is our successful supersonic range. In the next few weeks, we're going to be brewing another another one of them and there's more to come so essentially the three of the beers excluding the brookie draft so the jet lag the powder day and the supersonic all series based we've all got more coming up in the next few months so stay tuned that's uh that all sounds amazing i think we've got one more question uh from the zoom room before we uh wrap this up craig would you like to ask your question if you unmute yourself my friend You there, Craig? And Ryan, after Craig asks his question, feel free to chime in with um with any other insights you want to give us into Nomad Land or even German beer land, which we'll be experiencing on Sunday. Over to you, Craig. (laughs) Don't be shy. I feel like we're going to have to have an edit here, David. It's yeah, um, Craig. Craig puts in the chat that he's in a dark room, so we need to ask it for him. 
um, which is more intriguing than explicitly, but that's fine. Let's let's go with that. <laughs> Why don't you ask the question, Warren? Oh, okay. See what I Why not? Um, <laughs> did you want to hear a joke? Uh, what what was the all right? So the question that the Craig's Craig's asked is. What was the key thing you learned from the collaboration with Dog uh, with Dogfish Head Brewing um, to brew the I Remember My First Check-In? I didn't get to try that. I'm really interested. That's, um, did you hear what, it, what we ended up doing for it? No, I didn't. I, yeah, no, no. So it was a big thing. So un, um, as far as I remember my first check-in, it was a, a collaboration in a sense with Untapped. So Untapped being um, a pretty massive thing globally, I'm assuming... For the most part, most of you will know for it. If not, it's a, essentially social media, but for, for beers, you can check in where it would be as you've drunk and where you're at. For us, um, the actual collaboration itself, so um, there was a lot of, there's a few different breweries across America who did it. And I think globally, there's only, I think there's a brewery in Brazil and then a brewery here, us, who got asked to do it. Um, yeah, we didn't have too many, too much hands on stuff with it. But as far as what we learned from it, to me, it was my the, the, my favorite beer we've ever done. And that's been truthfully. So it was a uh, dragon fruit, lemon myrtle, seawater and seaweed um, gosa. So it was this fluoro, fluoro pink, just lemony, citrusy. How do you describe it? Like, it was just, to me, so, it was just yeah. the best beer. It's yeah. the best beer we've done. Like, we, I, we put like all of... 300 kilogram was it? Yeah, so 300, 300 kilogram kilo of dragon fruit. Wow. Is what it is. And just turned the beer yeah, into the like the really nicest pinkest color you can imagine. And um, it was slightly sour. It had a really nice touch of salt. And then because of the dragon fruit and uh, that lemon bottle, it gave some nice citrusy. Um, kind of like fruity fruit in the end, in the end, and it was just amazing. Um, and we and used we used actual sea kelp so seaweed. So Nico, I, uh, Brooks, we went down to um, we went down searching the beaches just for seaweed. So we got a few buckets full and actually used it in the boil. So when we actually um, were brewing it, and it's a thing at the time. I think me personally, I'd never dealt with seaweed before didn't know how it actually <laughs> translates to brewing but it was actually wild you could in a weird way you could fully taste it so you could you can obviously eat sea, seaweed and sea kelp we can try it it's just extremely salty if you've eaten seaweed you know what it's like but we we brewed it and once it was in the tanks you could you could have a sip and you could yeah you could tell what um it was there like it was really relevant it was evident and just i can't speak enough for it to me it's just the best we've done it turned out so perfect um, to answer Craig's question, I don't know if that does. That was kind of me just talking up how good that beer was, but um, but also but Craig, yeah, use um dragon fruit seaweed and seawater. And lemon <laughs> don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Nothing could go wrong. Yeah. Um, it's, I not think in, I... it's not in the forest, so we won't die from. <laughs> and and on that, I think we'll wrap up this lovely session. But before we do, um. In relation to that beer, if you guys go back and listen to, I think, what is episode, I'm not sure of the episode number, maybe it's 59, we spoke with Damien Petty from Untapped and actually talked about that beer. So All right. if you want more of an insight, go back and listen to the archives. Um, Chris, Nika, before we wrap up, 
Can you give us your uh, Nomad social medias so everyone that's in the room tonight and listening to the podcast afterwards can look you guys up and follow you to see what's coming up next? Yeah, so we're on um, on Instagram at Nomad Brewing Co. and uh, Facebook the same. So we're, we're pretty active on it. We've got a great marketing team. We're keeping up to date with, yeah, all the what's happening in the locally and um, whether it be the bar or the just our releases. So, yeah, follow, like, subscribe and get a hold of what we're bringing out next. Perfect. And uh, obviously, as always, guys, make sure you check out the Cool Room Socials. We've got Slow Lane coming up on the 24th of June. Um, we've got our Sunday sessions happening later in the week and you can get the beer packs for that from the Shopify store, um, which you can find in uh, the social medias on Facebook and Instagram, uh, as well as the podcast link. Uh, we'll put those links up in, in the podcast link as well. Um, remember, if you're, we're still doing Zoom chats. So hopefully Melbourne doesn't end up in another lockdown over the next few weeks where we have to continue to do zoom chats. Hopefully we're going to get out to a few breweries and, and do some face-to-face stuff in the near future. But um, if you do get onto the zoom room, you get to see amazing things like uh, Crofty tying his shoes um, as well as being able to ask your own questions. So it's, uh, it's always a fun thing to do. Um, Chris, Nico, thanks for joining us tonight. It's been an thanks absolute blast. Your beers you. are amazing. This stout is is bang on. This this is a good way to finish the night, I think, on this stout. So, yeah, amazing. Thanks if for joining us, guys. If someone comes ever past them to the brewery on like a Thursday, Friday um, in Sydney, just come around and meet Well, up. hopefully at some point in time we end up in a position where we can cross over borders and we can actually come up to you guys and visit and and check out the brewery space. So that would be yeah, awesome. Yeah, I saw that um, and both saw that. Yeah, we show you a few bowls, Tudge. We'll take care of I feel like the New South Wales versus Victoria thing is really going to happen on the bowls club front. Oh, yeah. That could happen. Oh, that was not a joke. It's happened. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, guys. It's been a great night. Thank, Thank you. you, boys. Thanks, fellas.